Yeah. Fill my cup. Let it overflow. In a way that bounty paper towels cannot pick it up and sop it up. Let it flow to every part of my life, every part of my family. Oh, we are praying right now. Let it flow to our jobs and to our finances and to our, our hopes and our dreams and what God is doing in this space. Let it flow all over the church. Let it run down the aisles until it overflows and overtakes every plan that the enemy has made against us. Fill my cup. Let it overflow. We begin a series today on worship, and every week for the next few weeks as we preach about worship, we will play this video, so get used to the song. <laughs> yeah, get used to the song. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful worship today from the worship team. We are so happy about that. Yes. We had a conviction to start preaching and talking about worship and really not only aligning worship in the scripture and giving some understanding to that, but also talking about our personal journey with worship. For those of you that don't know, I'm one of the pastors here at Christway. I am the worship pastor specifically. And my journey began many years ago, decades ago, when I was six years old. That was when I began to play in the church. And just to share with you my personal journey, uh, in terms of worship, not just in terms of musicianship, it's very important that we understand that music is not worship. Music is preparation and a tool of worship. Worship begins in the heart. Worship comes from brokenness and experience. And so brokenness started for me very early on uh, at a very young age. We learned to match the circumstances of life with touching God in praise and worship. My sister, I was hoping she was going to be here today, my oldest sister, Shauna. When I was three years old, we were in our living room of our home, and it was about nine o'clock at night and we were about to go to bed and my mother and father went to put us all to bed and they were talking to us and my sister Shauna went into a seizure. When she went into the seizure, she went from the seizure to a coma. And for the next two years of our life, from the time I was three until I was in kindergarten, my sister, my family resided at the Ronald McDonald House in Indianapolis, and my sister was in Riley Hospital, unable to eat, unable to drink, unable to function, could not speak anymore. And at a very young age, it's funny because the story ends with, I'll, I'll spoil it for you, the story ends with the Tribune Star running a story about my mother and father being insane because Riley Hospital sent my sister home to be a vegetable for the rest of her life. When the Tribune Star came to interview my parents on the front page, it said, Billy Shouse, my mother, prays for a miracle. Six months later, same newspaper, 
with all of their doubts and all of the confusion about our prayers, ran a story, Billy Shouse gets her miracle. Our worship, my sister, my sister Shannon is here. She's the worship pastor at our local assembly recharge. Our worship, a lot of people don't know where it comes from. But it comes from when our sister couldn't talk and she couldn't speak. In the afternoon, my sister and I would go into the hospital room my parents had created in their den. And we'd sit on either side of her and we'd press our cheek against hers at four and five and we'd worship and sing. One day, we came into the room and my sister who could not walk who could not speak, had disappeared from the bed. They went into the kitchen and she was there trying to find herself something to eat. Worship is always connected to the miraculous. It is always connected to the miraculous things, things that we can't touch, things that we don't understand. Long story short, Within a year of my sister coming home, my father prayed. My sister was going out to West Vigo for classes for the handicapped. And my father prayed a prayer, Lord, just let my daughter come running from the bus stop like she used to. And lo and behold, one afternoon, the bus pulled up down at the end of the block and my sister walked off the bus and ran home. The vegetable is now a teacher. A master's in education, working on a doctorate in divinity. God, when he is worshiped, he shifts the atmosphere. Despite your age or your background or where you come from, that's where my worship journey began. And at six years old, I'll never forget the first Sunday. I actually have the date, and I don't want to be teased. My worship team already calls me Papa Shouts and Grandpa Shouts, but <laughs> it was June the 21st, 1987. I was six years old. The first time that I began to connect music with worship. And from that time, when my prayers and my preaching and my intelligence could not help me, my worship has always been the rescuer. I want to give that to you as a gift today. There is a scripture that I believe all of our speakers will be speaking from, and it's out of Isaiah. Andy came to us with this great scripture. The name of the series is Streams in the Desert. Today I want to talk about climate change and posture of worship. Let's read this in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 35. I'm going to be reading the New Living Translation. It says, even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. Now I'm reading, actually, I want to make sure I read the version. Keep that up. I want to read this version, and then we'll look at the New International Version, which is what everyone will be using. 
The wasteland will rejoice, this is verse one in the New Living Translation, and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God with this news. Strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And then in the New International Version, the desert and the parched land will be glad. No matter where you come from today, no matter what's going on in your life, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. Stay there. Just look at someone next to you and tell them, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. Now this front row don't start anything and there won't be anything, okay? And the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Speak to our hearts, God, in the name of Jesus. Streams in the desert. It's very important to have an understanding of worship in the Judaic sense. And I was studying worship and the value that we have in that, in a Judeo-Christian sense, that as believers and people that believe that Jesus Christ became the fulfillment of all that was spoken of, by the prophets and by the priests of the Old Testament. It's very important to understand that when we worship, there is an order that has been set. It is not an order like the law that limits you. We're not trying to recreate the law, but it's an order in place that was a type and a shadow of what we would experience when we walk into God's house and call on the name that Moses and the children of Israel did not know at the time. But this was all heading to fulfillment in Christ. There was a woman at a well, does anyone know the story? That Jesus, in his zealousness, could not help but wait to give the real story. By rights and by the prejudice that she was experiencing, she had no right to be there with Jesus. 
And I'm sure that if we were to examine some of your stories, there is no way that the conclusion of your story ends with Jesus. But we're here, aren't we? This woman comes to the well and Jesus gives away the whole thing. He can't help himself. And as he's sitting there, I cannot imagine his sense of angst to just want to tell her there's a time coming where you're no longer worshiping this mountain, where you no longer have to meet racial qualifications to worship him, where you no longer will have not, it's, it's not going to be about what tribe you came from, but there is one tribe that comes out of the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. Uh, I really feel it in here. If y'all stop, don't stir a preacher up. I know where I'm at. I know where I'm at. There is a tribe that Jesus created that is specific, that is set aside and set apart to give him thanksgiving and praise. The first thing that we have to understand about worship is that God desires it. His whole design of even the tabernacle, throw that picture up, I want you to understand this. His whole design of the tabernacle in the Old Testament was to be a place where praise became worship. Worship became intimacy. Intimacy became inclusion. And the inclusion led to revelation of who God was. There was an outer court. I want you to understand this before you leave here today. And the outer court of the tabernacle, not everyone was welcome to the party. But to those, there were laymen and regular people and servants of the Lord that would come to the outer court of this tabernacle. And they would worship and they would sing songs. But there was an exclusive group that made it into the holy place. Not everybody could make it into the holy place. Not everybody could make it into the holy place. Not everybody could make it into the holy place. You will know your privilege before you leave today. Not everyone was qualified. And then there was something inside at the back of the holy place in this tabernacle. There was something called the veil of the temple. And only the priest could pass this veil. This was the most intimate place where the presence of God rested between the, the furniture of cherubims that God promised his presence would always be with Israel. This would be the plan to the point that when the priests would go into what's called the Holy of Holies, they would put bells on his robe and a rope around his waist just in case he went in and was considered unworthy so that they could pull him out. If the bell stopped ringing, that meant that the priest was dead. He had to be worthy. The qualification was worthiness. Sad, but true, that if the qualifications to worship God then is my worth and not his worth, then I'll never have a right to worship him intimately because the last time I checked, I've been a lot of things. I've been educated. I've 
at some point worked out in my life. I've lifted, I've played sports, I've studied. But the one thing that I've never been in my life as I examined my life this week was worthy of anything that God offered. But then here comes crazy Jesus. who because of his sacrifice and because of his love for us switches the qualifications from worthy to unworthy. Whereas in the law it said that the priest must be worthy, the priest must be a participant in this feast and that feast, the priest must be cleansed, he must be specific, Jesus says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart I will not cast down. But he did not just say that because that would be lip service. The Bible says, y'all sit still. And I know recharges in the house, aren't you? Sit still. Let's behave. Christ's way, let's behave, okay? Jesus comes, and if he does not take care of the law, our worth is still in question. But the Bible says that the moment that Jesus hung his head and said it's finished, the veil, my God, the veil of the temple was ripped, meaning that whosoever will, whoever will worship me, whoever wants to love me, Whoever is broken in spirit and contrite has a right to come before the Father with worship. Today, I give you this gift. There's not a person in here. I've heard it said in old times, everybody is qualified to praise God, but everyone can't worship God. We got to be careful with that because the truth is, is it creates an idea that there's somehow a group of people that are worthy to worship him and there's a group of people that are not. A broken spirit. See, I can praise God all day. I can say what he's done. Praise is a connection to what God has done. It is a connection to how he has moved in my life. It is circumstantial. It does deal with what has happened. It does deal with what God has performed. It is about testimony. But worship, whether he does anything or not, Worship begins before you get to church. It starts at home with where your heart resides with God. It is the recognition that without him, I am nothing. And that it's by his grace. It's by his mercy. Oh, I'm not shutting you down. It's by his mercy that we have hope. Where praise says he has given to us hope, Worship is a recognition of the self and how much hope we did not have, but the master gave to us hope. And now the temple and the tabernacle becomes irrelevant. Whosoever will, let them come. Something about the scripture is interesting. And in order to examine it, I want to examine another scripture in the book of Psalm, chapter number 42. Throw this up. I heard the scripture my whole life. We've written songs about it. We've jumped around. We've been on stage. As the deer longs for streams of water, 
So I long for you, O God. The King James Version, the Holy Version to some of y'all, says, <laughs> as the deer panteth after the water brook, so does my heart. I used to think of this scripture as a positive scripture, Andy. And then I read it and stopped quoting it. David writes the scripture not from an excited to worship place, not because Maverick City released the next album. He wrote this from brokenness. Let's look at the scripture. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking. Stop right there. Keep that up. Are you hearing what David has said? Who is David? This is the same gentleman that has defeated Goliath. Did we not sing about that today? I may not have Goliath, but I am my own guy. Right? This is the guy that fought a bear, that fought a lion. This is the guy that when his brothers which I think is the most hilarious story in the Bible. For 40 days, Goliath stood and challenged Israel. And like no 20 soldiers got together and said, let's rush him, man. He's challenging them, challenging them. And this little scrawny boy who has been anointed to be king comes out and says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? who would defy the armies of God. He goes out and he hits him with the stone and then chops his head off. And then, Peggy, the women start singing about him. You got to be careful when the ladies start singing about you. And they wrote an R&B song called David and His 10,000. And Saul was king and he had to listen to them say, Saul killed a thousand but David killed 10,000. Do it, y'all. <laughs> They're singing about this guy. He's famous, world famous. He's a conqueror. What is he doing with his heart broke? See, there comes a time where it doesn't matter how many people compliment you. And it doesn't matter how many people look at your life and say, you ought to be glad about what you have. And it doesn't matter how many people come up to you and tell you a sob story about someone else. Brokenness is inevitable for the human being. There will be times where you're weak. And God, in knowing this, when he's creating his new law with Jesus Christ, he says, well, the one thing we'll do is we'll make sure that every time they get weak, it makes my strength perfect. Why would David be weak? Why would he be broken? Why in celebration? Is he saying these words? Because he remembers the time of worship. See, the problem with worship is this. Because it's intimate and because it's relational, there are times that our worship, and we shouldn't be shamed for this, amen? There are times that our worship story takes a detour. 
And because God is dealing, yes, many people believe worship is not about emotion. It's ultimately dealing with your human connection to God. And so there are times because I'm frail and because I feel differently about myself and because I always don't feel this. Honestly, honestly, can we be honest for one second? Have you ever woke up on a Sunday morning and said, I ain't feeling this today? Have you ever woke up on a Sunday morning and came in here and said, if Hayden and Arnick sing that line one more time? I know you have. <laughs> I watch. I'm like, okay, let's see. That's the end of the song. If that piano player plays any louder, your human connection can be off. But because of Christ's goodness, he does not alter his position with you when you worship him. He says, I'll be the constant. I'll be the one thing that when you're at your worst, I'll hold you up. I'll be the one thing that while everyone is sitting around you judging your emotions and your connection and your reaction. I came up in a time in church where, and I believe this is the culture my brother comes from, we came from a culture of church where we were being judged from the moment that we entered the door. There was a team of people. I don't even know what they ate for breakfast. I don't know how they were always so energetic. But they would come up to you. You ain't praised the Lord today like you. And I'd be like, can you please, please, please give me a moment. Are you ashamed? No, I'm broken. And in your brokenness, God has placed that Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. In your brokenness, in your weakness, wherever you are today, in your greatest challenge, in the time where you feel the most insufficient, God says there is a worship there. Climate change. Streams in the desert. What does the scripture say about climate? That no longer do we worship in this building or that building. I want to tell y'all something. I'm the worship pastor for Christ's Way. I'm the lead pastor for Recharge. I do a lot of stuff. It's the same God. I just want to, I want to tell you guys that so you don't get confused. It's not in the song. It's not in the lyric. It's not in the style. It's not in the voice. It's not in the skill of the musicians. It is a worship that resides as intimacy between you and God. So then it's not about a building anymore. What is it about? It's about climate change. When we walk into the house of God, we have the capacity to change the atmosphere. That's where we live. The Holy Spirit that resides on the inside of us has the power that when the rain is overtaking the people of God, there is a conduit, there is a connection between Marilyn and I that when I worship and she worships, 
No matter what you look like, I, Marilyn, I'm going to presume that there's never been a time in your life you could jump as high as I can. Except for maybe today. I, I can't get up anymore. But when we worship, there's literally an atmospheric shift. We see the weather outside today and we pray in the times of drought for rain. And then we get soaked with rain until it becomes a flood. And the same rain that we were praying for becomes detrimental to us. So there will be times where sunshine is what God is looking for. It's called the garment of praise. That's why when we open up a service, I want you to understand this. When we open up a service, it is always a celebration. Because people come in here and there's never any telling where their minds are. They may just need the joy of the Lord. No, I am not talking about earthly happiness that can come if you win that big old lottery. I'm talking about a joy that can't be touched. That's why we express exuberance. It's necessary because we want you to know the same thing is true that was true in the days of the scripture. It is a lifting up, throw up those postures. It is a lifting, not only of God's people, but a lifting of the name of the Lord, a magnification of him. He said in his scripture, if I be lifted up from the earth, it draws people. So when we come in here, we lift him up. We raise the name of the Lord high. And for those of you that it's raining and there's clouds, what we want to introduce to you in the worst time and storms of your life is that there is still sunshine. The Vienna, same sunshine, different day. That same sun that comes out can also be scorching. It's the same sun that can be in your life and you get thrown for a loop when the storm rages. The sun that's in the middle of the desert is not beautiful. I've been out there. As a matter of fact, it will kill you. I was in New Orleans, and it was 115 degrees. I was 16 years old. And like an idiot, my parents weren't there, so I was on a trip as a musician. And next to the hotel that I was at, there was an amusement park. And I looked out there and there was about 500 kids there that had traveled from New York City. So I ran out of my hotel room, got dressed, went to the amusement park, and hung out with these kids 115 degrees. I never drank water. About two hours into it, the whole room, the whole outside turns blue. And I pass out. I'm out for 12 hours. The sun was beautiful, but it wasn't the climate that was healthiest for me at the time. So we can't always be expecting that in worship, everyone's going to be uplifted. Sometimes we need to bow. Sometimes we need to stand still. Sometimes you don't need to be driven by what we do up here. It needs to come from you. You need to speak out.
We are called to change the climate. Amen? Come on, guys. We are called to change the climate. Worship is a lot of things, but it's never selfish. Worship is intimate, but it's not selfish. We are here to provoke climate change and atmospheric shift so that if someone's in a storm, they can come out of it. So that if someone's being scorched by the sun, by the posture of worship, but you know what we have to do? We have to pray to God, let us become more aware of your presence. Give us the discernment that when we worship you, we know what you desire. There's a prayer, and I'm going to close, that we pray. I think I pray it every time we're about to worship. And it simply says this, Lord, let this worship go up to you. You are the one audience. And then, Lord, we know in your goodness you'll share it with the people. You'll rain it back down on us. There are three areas of climate that I want you to ask God for as you go forward in worship. Lord, let me believe to see your sunshine on me. And in the worst times, let me believe to see you rain on me. And in the lowest place, hide me. Moses was on the mountain and he was experiencing the raging presence of God. And he prayed to God, Lord, let me see you. And basically God had to explain, if I let you see me, it'll kill you. So this is what I want you to do. Hide behind the rock and I'm going to pass by. We are each other's cleffing rock. That when the Holy Spirit passes in the room, we are the conduit to present the presence of God to one another in such a way that if a person has no experience of church and no understanding of the culture of worship, they don't get the guitars and the keyboard and the drums. They ought to feel a sense of comfort when they're in your space, not shamed because they don't understand. And at the same time, the person with all the experience in the world ought to feel the freedom to worship him. And so, Lord, we worship you. We send to you all of our praises and our thanksgiving. We exalt you, Lord. Let streams come in the desert places. You said that in the middle of a desert, you will spring a well for us. So in all of the places that we are today, whether it be in the rain, in the storm, or in the sunshine, let your presence, your ever understanding, adjustable, loving presence, reign on everyone in this room. I want you to stand with me in this moment, and I want us to sing this song out together again.
make room, switch that up, make room.